0: Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Now on today's show, we're going to answer the question, do the Mets have enough? Because there has been a lot of movement around baseball today. Uh, There was Chris Bryant signing with the Colorado Rockies of all teams. Kyle Schwarber signing with the Phillies. I'll react to those signings in the first segment today and how it relates to the Mets. If you've been listening to this show throughout the offseason, you know I am not a big fan of Chris Bryant. So I was, probably unlike some other Mets fans, happy to see him sign a deal elsewhere. In the second segment, we'll get more into that question, looking through the Mets roster and their needs, and just answering, does this team have enough as presently constructed. I'll talk about the position players in the second segment. I also want to touch on Robinson Cano's press conference with the media following his steroid suspension, so we'll get to that. Then finally, in the last segment, going to talk about the one real area of need left, the left-handed reliever in the Mets' bullpen. Jason Shreve was signed on a minor league deal. Is he enough? We'll go through that as well. Before I get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter, at Finkelstein Ryan can also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. And I'll tell you, it was a very busy day for us over at Just Baseball because there was a lot of news to discuss. The biggest news that maybe dropped at the end of the day was Chris Bryant signing a seven-year, $182 million deal with the Colorado Rockies of all teams. And you know, anyone who has been paying attention to this show throughout the offseason knows that I've talked about Chris Bryant a bunch because... Interest among Mets fans was always really high on Chris Bryant. If you go back even a year last offseason, I was all on board with the idea of trading for Chris Bryant. I really was. But as the season played out, as you know, we change our perception of what the Mets need, I looked at the team heading into this offseason, and I've been very clear that Bryant was not a target I was really interested in, which I think differed from, again, the opinions of a lot of Mets fans. And so now that it is official, Bryant is not a Met. I just want to take maybe one final little, I don't want to call it a victory lap, but maybe just make my case one last time for why this is a good thing for the Mets. So if there's a Mets fan out there that's listening or watching today that that's upset to find out that Bryant won't be wearing the blue and orange, I'm gonna tell you why this is a good thing. And, and for me, the, the, the argument has always been Jeff McNeil is a better option for this Mets team than Chris Bryant. And you might say, well, they play different positions, but to me, they function as the same player. For each of them, these are guys that defensively, their best asset is their versatility. The ability to play multiple positions, to play in the outfield and the infield. So when a guy goes down and left for a couple of weeks, a Jeff McNeil or a Chris Bryant can move from the infield back out to the outfield and play that position and get you by for a couple of weeks. That is why I compare these two players together. Also, I feel like there was this narrative, right? Throughout the offseason, the Mets should be trading Jeff McNeil for something else to to get him off the team because of chemistry issues. All this stuff that I think has been sort of brushed aside now and really put in the rear view after Lindor has addressed it and said there's no problem there. But I think that was the main motivation. And then, of course, coming off the down year, a lot of people are ready to give up on Jeff McNeil. When I look at these two players since 2018, which is when McNeil made his debut, you got Chris Bryant, a 268 hitter, Jeff McNeil, a 299 hitter, Chris Bryant, 363 on base, Jeff McNeil, 364 on base. Very close when it comes to just that alone, getting on base. McNeil does it differently, getting more hits. Bryant draws a little bit more walks. You go to the power. Chris Bryant, obviously a better power hitter with the 479 slugging percentage, but that's not even. That big of a jump above McNeil at 459. Then you look at maybe the most comprehensive offensive statistic, which is weighted runs created plus, measuring hitters based on a league average of 100. Chris Bryant has a 124 WRC plus since 2018. Jeff McNeil, a 126 WRC plus, two points higher than Chris Bryant. You look at their F4 for Bryant; it's at 11.1. For McNeil, it's at 9.1. So Brian has been a little more valuable, but he's played 59 more games. And that is, of course, a, a counting statistic, War is. So that accounts for the two-win difference a little bit, but you could say Brian's been the better player. Here is the difference for me, and it comes down to the defense, as I alluded to before. Jeff McNeil, since 2018, throughout his entire career, in the outfield, were seven defensive runs saved, at third base, six defensive runs saved, at second base, eight defensive runs saved. Chris Bryant, negative four defensive runs saved in the outfield. Uh, has been worth one defensive run saved at third base, but was minus two last year. And then you go to uh, outs above average, which is another defensive statistic. Chris Bryant last year, minus 10 outs above average, was tied with six other guys for the eighth worst mark in all of baseball. That put him in just that first percentile among the worst defenders in the game. That's right along the line with Dominic Smith, by the way. Jeff McNeil was in the top 50 an outs above average with five outs above average. Uh, a much better defensive player at really any of these positions. So you look at the defensive versatility and McNeil brings plus defensive versatility. Bryant, it's just versatility. Then you go to the contract and, and that is always the basis of my argument. It's not that that McNeil's a better player than Chris Bryant. I, I wouldn't make that leap. But I'd say that they're close enough that it does not warrant spending an extra 20 Four million dollars this year on a Bryant to have sent Jeff McNeil packing in a trade because Jeff McNeil is projected to make two point five million dollars in his first year of arbitration and he's under control for two more years after this. Chris Bryant just signed that contract seven years for one eighty two. That's twenty six million dollars a year. However, you break that down, I imagine that Chris Bryant near the end of that contract is still going to be making north of twenty five million dollars at 38 years old in 2028. And that could have been on the Mets books. Now it's not. And to me, that's a really good thing. I I really believe that because it just gives you that ability to sign a Jose Ramirez when he becomes a free agent, to sign a Juan Soto when he becomes a free agent. Sure, Steve Cohen could do all of those things, even with Brian on the books, but it just makes it harder. And when you look at Robinson Cano, who's still on this roster right now, that maybe prevented you from signing a Kyle Schwerberg that is the reason why you don't want to do this because maybe you miss out on a player like Schwarber, who signs a four-year, $79 million deal with who? The Phillies. Now, that does not make me scared of the Phillies. Uh, I saw someone on Twitter today, I don't remember who, who said that, you know, suddenly the Phillies have like the second best offense in the division or something along those lines. Um, or maybe that the Mets had had like the, the third best, like the worst. Regardless, the idea was that the Phillies suddenly had a better lineup than the Mets. And to me, that's just False. <laughs> you know, you look at where the Phillies are. They're still going to be running at Dede Gregorius and a double Herrera. Um, and they're even lucky to have those guys considering the lack of depth they have behind them. That's how bad the Phillies could be this year. They have a high ceiling in that they can string together wins with the upper end talent. They have You look at the rotation of Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. And you look at a lineup that has the reigning MVP and Bryce Harper and JT real Muto and Reese Hoskins. Now you add in Kyle Schwarber. It's still a good team, don't get me wrong, but I I don't think Schwarber is enough to put them over the top. And unless they make other sweeping changes, I'm not really scared of the Phillies. But that's another option, though, that is off the board for the Mets. They're not gonna sign a Kyle Schwarber, which to me probably signals they're not gonna sign any of these guys. And when you're looking at the market, you know, today we saw Jock Peterson go. You saw Eddie Rosario go back to the Braves, a two-year, eighteen million dollar deal, which to me, is a little bit of an overpay, but he was incredible, winning the NLCS MVP and was great down the stretch. So maybe he is that guy moving forward. He just hasn't been that guy uh, throughout his career. From there, though, you know, you look at the other free agents on the board. And it's not really worth mentioning them. Um, you know, could you get a Jonathan VR back? Yes, but I, I don't think the Mets are really motivated to do that. I, I really don't think so. And if VR turned down an offer already, which I think it was six point five million in hopes of more playing time. He ain't finding that playing time with the Mets. So to me, that's really off the table. And I just think that if we look at the team and this gets us to the question that we're going to pose and discuss today, do the Mets have enough? I think they're fine right now. I really do. I understand, you know, fans want to see more moves. They want to see more transactions. We all love the transaction. Trust me. I love transactions too. I love talking about transactions. You all love to watch and listen when there's transactions. It's great. I look at this team right now, and I feel like presently constructed, they're in good shape. And so that's what I going to discuss a little bit more in just a minute. Where the Mets stand when it comes to their position players, because I want to also discuss Robinson Cano meeting with the media for the first time today, which was kind of funny. Um, and I'll go through the options at DH and what the Mets have, where they actually do need to add there. Then in the last segment today, we'll go through... The other big need, a left-handed reliever. They addressed that a little bit today with the signing of Chase and Shreve, which I love, uh, but we will get to that a little bit more in just a minute. First, I want to ask you, are you ready to discover your purpose and leave an impact wherever you go? Mission Possible, written and read by New York Times best-selling author and athlete Tim Tebow, of course, also former Matt. Uh, this book will encourage you to find your inspiration, pursue your purpose, and create a life for yourself that counts. Ignite a new spark in your life. Through this new inspirational listen, Mission Possible by Tim Tebow, which is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. All right, so now as we get into Uh, the Mets bench and this idea of, do they have to add another position player? I've said it before. I'll say it again. You cannot add until you subtract. Right now, the Mets bench is as it is going to be. It is already set. There's no positional battles. You're going into the season right now with J.D. Davis, Robinson Cano, Dominic Smith, Tomas Nido, and Luis Guillerme. It's just that simple. Guillaume's got to be there. You need a backup shortstop, and he's the only plus defender you'd even be bringing off the bench outside of Nito as the backup catcher. So you need Guillaume, and I also really like Guillaume's game. Don't get me wrong. He gives you a great at-bat every time he gets on base at a really high clip. If you look at his numbers since the second half of 2019, he figured something out when he went down to Syracuse after being on the team earlier that season. I think he also had a little bit of time in 2018 as well. Goes to Syracuse was able to work on his swing, has a good season in AAA, comes up the end of that year in 2019, was really solid, carried that over into 2020. I think one of the biggest things that's unfortunate about last season is he would have got so much playing time that ended up going to Jose Peraza and Jonathan VR. but unfortunately because he was hurt, he wasn't able to capitalize on all those injuries. It would have been great for his career had he been available last year, but I like Yorme on the bench. I think that's pretty locked in. Nito's locked in. And then the other three guys, unless you trade them, you're not going to uh, do anything with Robinson Cano, J.D. Davis, or, or Dominic Smith other than put him on the roster. I, I don't think they're going to just cut Cano outright. right. Seeing the way he's been received around camp so far, the way Buck Showalter has talked about him, they see him as a, a pretty great value to this team as the potential D.H. here. And then you continue that with Dom and J.D., and I think the Mets are in this position with the two of them where they would like to move them, but they're not just going to move them for spare parts. They want to get something of value because they know that both of them are better than they were last year. And so with that, you're locked in. And I still look at some guys waiting in the wings, and I still believe that Mark Vientos could be a huge part of this team as a DH or even a third baseman. I look at Khalili and Nick Plummer as clear options to be fourth outfielders. And personally, I would love to see a, a Khalil Lee and a Mark Vientos break camp instead of J.D. Davis and Dominic Smith. But until you find the right trade, you're pretty set with where you're at. So when I look at this team, though, and I think about those options, and I look at the market right now, does Tommy Fam do something for you? You know, does Jonathan VR really do a lot for you? I understand Michael Conforto is still out there. I understand Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, Freddie Freeman are all out there. I just don't imagine the Mets are going to make that type of a splash at this point when they still have all these other names that they have to figure out that, what to do with. And I look at, can those names step up? Dominic Smith hit two home runs off Max Scherzer today. So to me, that means he's back, right? Um, it was a sim game. It's nothing uh, to really write home about, but it does remind you that Dominic Smith has a lot of talent and he can put it together. Robinson Cano, Hall of Fame career, if not for steroids, maybe he's still on the juice. Probably wouldn't be a bad thing for the Mets' winning chances this year uh, with him in tow. But I, I still think Robinson Cano can provide some value. And with that, I should mention there was maybe the most uncomfortable 11 minute presser you'll ever watch. Uh, if you want to go to YouTube and, and find SNY's channel and go through and watch it, look. I understand that reporters have to do their jobs. You know, I, I'm I consider myself reporter adjacent. I don't. Have any sources? I don't aim to be a reporter that that's in those scrums, but obviously I am, you know, covering the New York Mets. And the thing that has always like grossed me out uh, about journalism, um, and this is again someone who has a journalism degree, it, it's the the tough questions you have to ask to be able to write your story. And we saw a lot of reporters fishing for the apology and or really the admission of guilt. From Robinson Cano. And the thing that drove me nuts about it. Not to bash reporters for doing their job. But it was the fact that all of them kept taking swings. Like you really think you're going to trip up Robinson Cano on on this question. I mean he was clearly uncomfortable by it. And he was clearly dodging those questions. But you're not going to get the answer you want out of them. And he made that very clear the third time he avoided the question. So why reporters? Continued to try to get a different answer out of them, like they were going to get somewhere. To me, it was just a complete waste of time. And you're making a human being feel extremely uncomfortable for no reason, in my opinion. Okay. And I'm not saying that Kano is absolved of any guilt, but you know what he said that I actually kind of did respond to? He said he served his suspension and overall, which is basically the way that he avoided the question over and over again, but he continued to say that. You know, he served his suspension and his goal is on winning the World Series with the Mets this year. And take that at face value for what it is worth. He is under contract. He is doing his job. He is sitting in front of you, the media, not really just to apologize, but because it's his job to sit in front of the media. And there's going to have to be a relationship that rekindles there. And to me, it's just so weird that Baseball writers seem to take a greater offense to steroid use than the players do at times. It it does feel that way. I'm not even talking about the steroid users. I'm talking about, you know, you see a Francisco Lindor get asked about Kano, who's his teammate now, but like there's just not that same animosity. And and there was like bile and hatred in that room directed towards Kano because he had committed baseball's greatest sin. It's a game of cheaters, man. It just is. Hey, If you've paid any attention to baseball history, it's a game of cheaters. And I'm not saying cheating is right, but I'm saying it comes with the territory of Major League Baseball, whether it's steroids, amphetamines in the 80s with the greenies, uh, whatever exactly it is, sign stealing with the Astros, everyone's looking for an edge. This guy was caught trying to get an edge. There's a lot of guys who aren't caught trying to get an edge. That's fine. He served a suspension. He lost. Twenty what a twenty three point two five million dollars something like that. Um, I know with the Mets he makes twenty point two five. I can't. I think it was twenty four years, so he'll probably cost himself twenty four million. I think the Mariners pay three point seven five of that each year. Um, but still, he cost himself twenty four million dollars and a year of his life playing the game he loves. To me, that is punishment served. And I feel like once he didn't answer the question once or even twice. Reporters should have moved on. The team's going to move on now though. And Robinson Cano is going to play a big part of it. And you know, if you ask me who's a better hitter right now, if the Mets were to sign a Matt Carpenter or a Tommy Pham or Robinson Cano, I don't think the difference is enough that they should make that addition when that it would necessitate a subtraction with the way their roster is constructed. I think the Mets have a deep team. Um, and I also think they still have the ability to add during the season. The one area that I think is of greatest need right now is the need to add a left-handed reliever to the bullpen or just to add another dynamic reliever to the Mets' bullpen. They might have done that with Jason Shreve. Anyone who's been listening to this show knows how much I love him, so maybe he is the guy. We'll talk about that a bit more in just a minute and where the Mets could also go from here when it comes to addressing their bullpen. Do they have enough there? We'll find out in a minute, but first, this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto store to stock all the parts you need. So why endure the often pointless and seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders your parts online, choosing only the brand their warehouse happens to carry, when instead you can use your own computer or phone, get access to rockauto.com and save 30%, 50%, maybe even 100% more for the exact same amount of parts that a chain store or new car dealership can offer. Rock Auto is a family business that's been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every customer, so go explore their easy-to-use website to find the solution to your auto parts needs at RockAuto.com. See all the parts available for your car or truck, and make sure you're right locked on in their "How'd You Hear About Us" box, so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. (laughs) RockAuto.com. So the New York Mets have brought one of my guys back into the fold, left-handed reliever, chasing Shreve on a minor league deal. I should also note, cause I don't remember if I alluded to this at all in yesterday's show. They also signed uh, Mike Montgomery to a minor league deal. Montgomery went to camp with the Mets last year. Uh, he got an offer with some other team that he ended up leaving the Mets for. And then ultimately I think he ended up in Japan. Uh, now he's back. So we'll see what Montgomery can add. Uh, Shreve though is someone that I'm actually really optimistic about and The big stat that I always talk about is if you go back to his 2020 season with the Mets where he played with them during that shortened year, his splitter was absolutely disgusting. The whiff percentage on that pitch, 54.4%, put-away percentage, 31.8%. And if you look at the numbers he put up, and again, it's 2020, I get it. Um, You know, it was the COVID year, short sample size, but... Strikeout percentage, 91st percentile in baseball, whiff percentage, 95th percentile in baseball, chase rate, 74th percentile, um, all the expected metrics in the 70s. So he graded out as a very dynamic weapon out of the Mets bullpen. You go to this past year, 2021, and you look at just the counting stats or at the normal numbers, and he had a where was it, 3-2-0 ERA 56 in a third innings pitch. Now with the Mets, he had a three nine six ERA in twenty five innings. The strikeouts with the Mets was what was really impressive thirty four strikeouts in twenty five innings. Didn't see that this year; it was forty five strikeouts and fifty six and a third. But what he does really well is limit hard contact. If you look at hard hit percentage against, he's in the ninety fourth percentile around baseball. That's really solid. Guys are not hitting Chasen Shreve hard. That is the one thing that's been repeatable since the 2020 season. And this is a driveline guy. So he is someone that really works with all these advanced analytics and all the computers and everything else where he focuses on his arm angle and making sure that he gets the right break on all of his pitchers. That's how he helped design that splitter that can be so dynamic. And even this past year, while the splitter wasn't what it was with the Mets, you look at the numbers on it, and he still threw it 37% of the time still had a whiff percentage of 32.5 against it. His slider, which he threw a little bit more than he did with the Mets, he threw that slider uh, 23% of the time this year compared to 8% with the Mets. 31% or 31.6% whiff rate. So he's got some plus pitches. I think that he had a really good relationship with Jeremy Hefner. It seemed like with the Mets, there was a, a clear understanding of how to maximize his stuff. That ERA is inflated too because I remember he got off to a really great start where he had an ERA under two for a really long time. He also gives you the ability to get multiple innings out of the bullpen. That's something that brings some extra value to this Mets team. I don't know if he is the ideal solution to replace Aaron loop, but I think he's pretty good and a a nice bet to make it out of camp right now If they don't make any other additions. And when it comes to asking if they have enough in that bullpen, I think they're in pretty decent shape, right? Because you still have Edwin Diaz, Trevor May, Miguel Castro, Seth Lugo. That's solid, all coming back from last year. Drew Smith had a really good year as well. You factor in the additions of Adam Adivino, maybe Chase and Shreve. You're on your way to a pretty good bullpen. Trevor Williams was really good last year in a swingman role. I could see him you know, having that same type of a role at the Mets this year, being able to make some spot starts, give you some extended innings out of the bullpen. Tyler McGill, another option to play a very similar role due to the depth the Mets have in their rotation right now. And even a David Peterson, an outside shot uh, to make it as a reliever. Uh, I don't think that he's really destined to do that. I think his his best value is to go to Syracuse and be that starter in waiting um, for an injury because we know there's going to be some. But I look at where the Mets are currently at. If there was one addition to put them over the top, to me... It's not a left-handed reliever that's going to be in the same conversation as a Chase and Shreve who just signed a minor league deal. The only addition, in my opinion, that really makes sense at all in free agency right now is to go out and sign Kenley Jansen, because that is the move that puts you over the top. That's a move that move, that really you know moves the needle. <laughs> that's simple. He is a closer and a legitimate one, and all this talk about left, right, left, right. I don't care. Give me the pitchers that are the best. Because really great pitchers get left-handers out and get right-handers out. And I would venture to guess that there are very few, if any, left-handed relievers left on the market right now, now that Andrew Chafin has signed with the uh, Detroit Tigers. I would just imagine that you're going to be hard-pressed to find a lefty who has better numbers against left-handed hitters than Kenley Jansen simply does himself. So that's the one move I'm still looking at as – a possibility Uh, also a Josh Hader trade. There's been some rumblings there. That would be a huge move that would really cross off both boxes. You get a closer and a left-handed reliever in one elite package. I'm probably the best relief pitcher in baseball. So those are the two guys I'm looking at. But other than that, when I look at this Mets roster, I think they have enough. I think they have more than enough. And I think if you're a Mets fan that finds yourself upset right now at this team in Anyway, for this offseason, you need to have a reality check and think back to where we were a couple years ago when Rick Porcello and Michael Waka were the big additions the Mets made that offseason. Stark contrast to where we are today. Anyway, that's going to be all for today's edition of Locked on Mets. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Finkelstein Ryan. Follow the show, at Locked on Mets. Thank you for making Locked on Mets. Your first listen every day. Now, for your second listen, check out Locked On MLB, hosted by Paul Francis Sullivan, but we call him Sully. He's going to give you all the breakdowns you want on everything going on around Major League Baseball right now. You can file Locked On MLB wherever you get podcasts.